Jesus. 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 We speak your name, Jesus, to every heart in the room, to our own hearts. The Psalms often say, oh, my soul, speaking to itself. So we speak to ourselves and say, Jesus, we need you. We speak the name of Jesus to every relationship, broken or whole, in this room, in our city. We speak the name of Jesus to every, every soul that has turned from you. We speak the name of Jesus to every cancer diagnosis in this room. We speak the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the most powerful name there is. We speak it to places of despair and failure. We say, Jesus. I, I want to invite you to say the name of Jesus with me. I'm going to say it through. And you, you may or may not feel like this is what you can do now. But just to say the name of Jesus three times with me. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, we come to encounter you today. And we know that something, some confession in our hearts is unlocked when we say your name. When it rises to the top of our affection and devotion and we say, Jesus, you are the reason for this to your life, what despair or what victory that you need to remember is Jesus' victory or despair that you need to just invite him into, but we've begun our day with Jesus, and I'm just wondering if throughout our day we can think of Jesus, and if you could lay your head on the pillow at the end of today and the whisper, Jesus, would just be all you need. Well, it's, it's going to be a, a powerful morning, uh, and we want to say thank you for being here. And uh, I'm going to invite you to take a seat in just a moment. And as you do, we really need every seat in this room available. <laughs> so if you could just scooch to the center of your aisle or, uh, and just make every spot available. If, uh, if you still don't have a seat after we do all that, there is a, an overflow room in room 56. And if you just walk out the auditorium, they will direct you to room 56. <clears throat> Well, Heartland, good morning. My name is Shibu Matthew. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I work with students and families, and, uh, and it's just so, I'm so glad to see you here today, to see so many faces. Uh, today, Dan Diebel is going to be up here in just a moment, and uh, he's going to share with us. But before that, I just want to say thank you to you as a church body, because you, you do the thing that we're just trying to do with a new vigor and intensity, which is make space to build relationships that make Jesus first so that Jesus could be the whispered word of every person in our city. 
from a wee toddler to those on the other side of life, that Jesus would be famous and important to them. So you do that in spades, Heartland, your generosity financially and your resources and your time, all of that is really treasured and we say thank you for that. Um, I'm gonna invite Dan up now and I'm just gonna pray for him as he comes. So Dan, would you come? Would you join with me in praying for Dan? Heavenly Father, that is who you are to us because we've said to you, we're, we need you and we are found as your sons and daughters. And so for Dan, your son, would you impart into him all that he needs? Would you give him peace as he shares with us treasures from your kingdom, kingdom truth that we would begin to wrestle with. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hi, church. So uh, I got a call, um, I think it was like last week, I've lost track, last week, the week before, from um, Don Mardock. Some of you might know Don. How many of you just know Don and Glenda Mardock? Yeah, Don was on our staff for many years. He is 89, going to be 90 in September. Yeah, and he's just a stud. I mean, he's just like a legend. And um, when he transitioned from staff, we gave him an iPad so that he could um, FaceTime with us. And he uses that thing so faithfully. Every week he's FaceTiming Patty Johnson, our office manager, they're praying together. And then he just, it, what he told me was, he's like, Dan, I just, um, I just listen for the, for the nudges of God and then whomever pops into my head, I'll just FaceTime him. And, uh, and he said, the reason he does that is because they won't let him drive anymore. So he can't, he's like, yeah, they won't let me drive, man. It's horrible. But I've got my iPad. And so I just FaceTime people, and that's how I encourage them. And, um, and he said, oh, and Glenda will drive me to the community center, and I play old people in pool. <laughs> and he says, and I take them, and then I tell them about Jesus. That's what he says. <laughs> so um, he has just been a dear mentor and friend to me um, for many, many years, and we have only spoken together, I think, maybe twice in the last year, but both times have been really, really pivotal moments in my life. It's kind of like getting a call from God. It's like that kind of, he's that kind of person, and it lands in that kind of way, and so just a week or two ago, he calls me, it's about 8 a.m. in the morning, and, um, and he leaves me a message. I call him right away, but the message says, Dan, I was just thinking about you this morning. I think the Lord put you on my heart, and I think I'm supposed to tell you to read Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Okay, bud, that's about all I've got for you, so why don't you do that, and I love you, is what he says. So I, 
obviously, I, I go right there. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where somebody gives you a word or a picture or some sort of like, hey, God kind of put you on my heart or gives you a passage. It can be a little freaky, right? It can be a little bit like, oh, you know, I hope it's not the passage where dudes get mauled by bears or something, you know, or the guy falls on his sword. Like, he's just, I always kind of go to worst case scenario. Like, what's this about? And so, how do you manage those things? Like, well, first of all, you, you, um, you, go, you, you think about the source and how trusted that source is. Secondly, you never just try to decipher God's voice alone. We always do that in community. And you want to be careful because um, what's written in the Scriptures has its own context, and you want to make sure you're true to that first before you go, okay, well, what does this mean for me? And still yet, it was a little bit like, okay, what am I going to find when I turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24? Um, And here's what I found. And now, compelled by the Spirit, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. And the first kind of little phrase that just popped for me was Paul saying, I've been compelled by the Holy Spirit because that instantly connected with me for this journey I have been on over, over many years, but in a concentrated way over the last few months. Uh, Many of you know that I've been away for kind of a season of renewal and reflection and listening. I've likened it to like a game of catch with Jesus. And um, and what really has felt like this mysterious compulsion by the Holy Spirit to be with Him in a unique way, in a way that a normal teaching rhythm or leading rhythm would not allow. So really, I was kind of making space for that. And I just have to tell you, it has been an incredibly hard and rich experience these last uh, four plus months. It's been like wilderness and it's been garden. It's been disorienting and it's been incredibly life-giving. It has been the oddest time in my, in my life, really. And, uh, and I think also the most fruitful. And in part because of my experience and journey with the Spirit of God. See, I grew up. Um, I grew up in a church that, like, kind of gave lip service to the Holy Spirit, but never put emphasis on it, and actually had a theological paradigm that said the Spirit of God doesn't move in the same way today that the Spirit moved in the time of the Scriptures. And so, I kind of actually have, for much of my life, been in a posture of resistance towards the Spirit of God. That's moved to maybe some openness to actually accelerate to a profound, deep hunger for more of God and for more of His deep heart. And that's much of what I've got to kind of experience in the, in the last four plus, plus months away, and to experience who God is in His deepest heart, really. I mean, the things that I'm learning about the Holy Spirit have just been amazing. Like, the Holy Spirit is tender, comforter, um, powerful. Um, you know, I know one of the, one of the like popular buzzwords today in, in, in the business world and you hear it in, in commercials and such is to be a disruptor, you know, it's like, got to be a disruptor, man, be a disruptor in your industry, be a disruptor in your company and all that. Well, I just got to say the Holy Spirit is a disruptor. And I've been on this surrender of just letting go, letting go. And if you've ever been in a place of surrender, 
Or if you think about surrender in terms of war and battle, when you are in surrender, you cannot dictate your own terms. That's just, that just goes with the territory of surrender. But I've been surrendering to this tender, comforting, disrupting, wild, adventurous spirit of God. And so as I think about the Apostle Paul here, I just go, wow, his journey is not my journey, not going to try to make those parallel journeys, but it's connecting with me, this idea of compulsion by the Holy Spirit. He's going to Jerusalem, which is kind of a scary thing for him. It's an unknown for him. There are bad dudes there who want to do bad things to him, but he's willing to go for the wild ride and adventure to be with the Spirit of God, to be as, and I love this, Elise and I were reading this a day or two ago. Paul writes in a different place, that those who live by the Spirit keep in step with the Spirit. I just love that. Just that one step after another step of trying to keep up with the movement of God. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit like wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You just hope it's at your back. And that's the Spirit of God. And that was Paul's journey. And then it comes to verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. This part I didn't really like about the passage. I was kind of like, we, I mean, I like the Holy Spirit compulsion. That's kind of neat and all this. But like, as it says in a different translation, like hardship and affliction are ahead of you. I'm like, ah, we'll just... Like, could this not have been like prosperity and, and well-being or, or random strangers are going to bring you large wads of cash or, you know, or, you know, as you're constantly like jumpy, just, okay, what is it trying to tell me? It's like, could it be like Paul saying, and a, a week ago from today, Sunday at the Roman Bowl, the Jerusalem Jets will lose to the Ephesian Eagles or something like that. I mean, could there be any... Nope, just like, hey, this is going to really, really stink for you. I'm like, okay, well, God, what might you have for me in this? And by the way, when you, when you do this exercise, when someone gives you a word or scripture, it's not allegorical in the sense of like every little bit has to align. It's not an allegory, you know, like, well, this means that and that means that. It's like, no, Lord, what do you have for me in this is really the question. Bringing others around you, what do you have for me in this? Well, that really spoke to me about a sense of battle and frustration that I have had for the last maybe two or three years. Just this internal sense of coming up against my own limits, of, um, of learning a lot of things just about myself, um, my self-reliance my need to be the change agent, um, my need to be under the spotlight, just different things that the Lord has really just brought to the surface, and He's done it predominantly through pain, and the pain that I've experienced um, with the teams that I lead with around here. I've had to bring confession to them about some of those kind of, those things in me that I know that they were experiencing. I read a great book 
over my time away. It's by a guy named David Brooks. It's called The Second Mountain. And he just likens like every human being goes through. First mountain's kind of really, it's kind of about you, your ambitions, doing stuff in your own strength and for your own goals. And then you kind of hit this big dip and valley. And then through the brokenness and the humility, you begin to journey on the second mountain, which is journeying for the sake of others towards something much larger than yourself. Still bring your same gifts and passions, but in a way that you also know your own limitations. And he calls that the second mountain. I suspect maybe many of us find ourselves in that place. As I find myself there and reading these words of Paul, and I go, yeah, that speaks to the journey that I've been in. And then he says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And it was in this reading and really in that moment that I realized, and it all just kind of came together, the context of what was happening here for Paul. Paul is saying two things. My calling is not done. There's still race for me to run, and I'm going to sprint after it. There are still tasks to check off the list. I'm going to always, always testify to the good news of God's grace. Those things are true for him as he's telling the church that he loves goodbye. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. As a community, not too long ago, we spent about 18 months reading Paul's letter to that church. And if you recall, there were like 32 things that he said about that church. He said, you're, you're, you're a masterpiece. He says, you're light. He says, you're chosen. He said, you're adopted. He said, you are holy. Like Paul's love for this church was paramount. And this is the moment in the scene, and if you want to go look at it later, it's like this is his departure scene from his church, this church that he loves. And that's when it hit me. What Don Mardock could have never known is that just the day before he called me out of nowhere, not knowing any of the circumstances, what he could never have known was that actually I had resigned and shared that with the staff just the day before. That I am leaving Heartland in pursuit of entrepreneurial things in the marketplace, which I'll tell you about more in a second. It was an incredible, it was actually one of many different ways that God has spoken to Elise and me and through our community of trusted advisors and counselors of him saying, there's more race to run, there's more tasks to fulfill, but there's a new frontier that I want you to go on. It was as if Don, kind of God through Don, was confirming and also recommissioning me all at the same time. And so, yeah, um, I can't tell you how hard it is for me to say and for me to say on behalf of my wife and family that I'm transitioning on from Heartland 
effective, this is our last Sunday and Friday will be my last official day at Heartland. There's a few things I want to just maybe qualify. If you've been in the church world for a while, you know that um, sometimes when a pastor leaves the church for the marketplace, that's code for disqualification of some nature, some sort of moral lapse or failure or crisis. And I just want to say that's not true. That's just, that's just not true. There's nothing like that. I'll share more about the entrepreneurial stuff in a moment. I also want to say I know that when I took time away in August, I said, and I'll be back. And then in November, I got up and gave an update and said, and I'll be back. And then I got up January 4th and hosted and said, it's great to be back. And I just want you to know, like, every single time I said that, I meant it and I believed it. And that's where I was in the moment. It really wasn't until the first week of January when I actually came back and immersed myself in the kind of the whole thing. There was a three-day um, intensive, a three-day kind of retreat that the senior leadership team and I had. Um, they're called the management team. And part of those three days, we were doing our strategic planning work. In fact, we've been strategically planning together for 16 months. And on that very Tuesday was a last and final day of our work, and we finished it. And I got to tell you guys, that plan is beautiful. Like, you'll hear more about it, you know, coming down the pike. But I just want you to know, it is right. It is beautiful. It is, it is inspiring. Every single one of us can see ourselves in it. It says so much about who we've always been. It speaks to the things that have been happening in us as a people, maybe more underground than above ground, but that are so true. And it's the kind of plan that God would speak to his people to set them on fire for the city and for the world. And I sat there looking at it going, that's right, that's right, I love it, I love it, and I can't see myself in it. It's like God had put like spiritual blinders on me. And I'm looking around at our team, at our management team, and their hair's on fire. And they've got like fire just shooting through their eyes and they are all in. They're ready to put their hands to the plow. And I'm sitting there going, I want to be like that. I used to be like that, but I'm having new dreams now. And Heartland actually needs its leaders to be dreaming for Heartland and beyond. Heartland deserves its leaders to be lying awake at night and getting up in the morning. And I realized like that was the moment. And when I step back and I kind of just like survey my life, you know, I'm like, well, Okay, I guess this is, this has actually been a long time coming for me. I've been at Heartland for 22 plus years. Um, I've been in this role as lead pastor for 15. But if I go even further back um, in college, um, I declared my major, it was religious studies. I told my parents and they said, that's awesome, Dan. And then my dad said, but can you get something else that's practical, he said. (laughs) 
So I got a business econ degree. And, uh, and my favorite thing ever was I, I wrote up a, a business plan. And I, my favorite class was the entrepreneurial class. That business plan, man, I was sure it was going somewhere. And I remember actually five years ago when I went on my last sabbatical, planned sabbatical, I wrote up a different business plan. And when I think about the books that I read and the podcasts that I listen to and the people that I disciple and where I go with my free time, it's generally in the entrepreneurial space. And what's happened in, in, in time without me like trying to make it happen is these kind of ideas, you know how I love to chase ideas. I've driven you crazy by me chasing some of them before, but they, those dreams have really started to kind of take root and have become material enough, meaning like this could just possibly happen, that I just had to go, I can't not do that now. Now, by the way, that's not like I, it's not like I, I have a job or anything, right? We're just, you know the, anybody seen Frozen 2? That, that is a horrible movie, but it's speaking to me big time into the unknown, right? Just do the right next thing. I mean, the whole thing, it's even the Holy Spirit journey. If you put special goggles on, it's there. Um, but it just got to this place where I can't not go do that. And, um, but getting there, getting there, it's been so hard. Because I, I love you. I love you guys so much. And there's like, the best way I know how to describe it is there's like these four loves of mine that all were kind of almost felt like they were competing against one another. And you know when you really love something or someone, you have a burden for them too. And so I could call them the four burdens as well. And the first is just, I love you guys. I mean, I just love this church. I came here in 1998 and found my first real, as an adult, my first real spiritual home. I met my, my wife, Elise, here. It was on a Haiti mission trip where, like, she really started digging me, and I, I had to pray. <laughs> and that was, that was 18 years ago. I've been married for 16 years. We, before we had children, we had these beautiful, awesome puppies named Kiefer and Bauer. They're hanging on now. They're hanging on. But they, we used to let them run the halls of the old building at 8301 Lamar. Then we were, we were blessed and just slammed with three babies in 14 months. And you guys journeyed with us on that. And we dedicated them here. And one of them has already gotten baptized. And, and we just can't... I mean, just imagining our lives apart from you, has been horrible. And our love for our leadership and our love for staff and for our elders and just all the ways that we have locked arms together and the hills that we've taken, the scars that we have, I've just never envisioned a day that I wouldn't be dreaming with them. And then the love for my family, thinking about a, a, a move of this magnitude, their spiritual well-being, their financial well-being, their physical well-being, just like, where could we go in all of Kansas City? And by the way, we're not leaving Kansas City. 
But where could we go where we would find a spiritual family that would nurture and care for, for our children and for us like you all care for us? Like the way that you give us freedom. There's not too many churches you can go and just be who you are. You have always, always given my wife and my daughters the freedom just to be who they are. And then these, these new loves of these new things outside these walls and in the marketplace. And I'm like, Lord, how do I steward that as well? And it just became, you guys, this, it was just this anguishing. I'm trying to hold all these things together and make them, them all work. We even, as a, as a team, we explored some hybrid role where I would stay, with, you know, at Heartland in a reduced capacity and role that would free up time, you know, um, to go do the other things. And it just was getting more and more complicated. And it just seemed like the grace of God wasn't in it and on it. And I know for me personally, when I get to the most honest place in me is I was just trying to make everything work out. I was just trying to keep everything together, these things that I love. And it was my counselor one morning. We were wrapping up, and he said to me, he says, well, you know, Dan, again, this is all going to come down to surrender. He caught me in a tender moment. I'm like, Scott, what am I not surrendering? I'm surrendering everything. If you've done counseling, you know about those moments. And um, he said, you are. You're surrendering a lot. But the last thing you'll have to surrender is trying to protect your family and your friends from pain, of trying to manage everything perfectly. And um, I knew he was right. And that perhaps I was trying to take the safe route. And that's how the clarity, but it was, you know, it was circuitous. It was meandering. It was three steps forward, two back until the first week of January. And I, I want you to know a few things. One, um, I think I've mentioned it, but this did not come without a lot of processing in community. Counselors, Tom Bronner, a uh, longtime associate pastor here. He's been my spiritual director for years. He's been holding my hand. Um, through this whole journey. He's on sabbatical, a planned sabbatical right now. This is his first Sunday away. Um, our advisors, they're our elder board of lay leaders who hold me accountable, encourage, and support. Overseers, that's another board that we have that are outside pastors that speak in in times of need. My core, core kind of friends and my accountability brothers. And then, of course, Elise. I mean, here's the coolest thing, you guys. Um, this, whole, this whole journey, the last six months, have been the most beautiful six months of our marriage. It's crazy. I mean, we had, we've always had a great, great marriage. But the last six months, holy cow. And it's been a hard journey getting there. I mean, when I first uttered the words of a question about 
my time at Heartland. We were in Clearwater, Florida. We were on the balcony of a hotel, and I uttered the, the scary words of, I just don't know how much more time I have at Heartland. She was about ready to throw me off the balcony. <laughs> And then when I told her that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, for her that translates as unemployed. <laughs> but, um, oh my gosh, it's been so rich. I told her a while ago, maybe a month or so ago, I, I mean, it's like, it's like, I feel like we're on our honeymoon. I'm like, honey, if going through this journey all over again, just to experience what you and I are experiencing, I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat. And she looked at me and said, I wouldn't. <laughs> and, uh, but she has been my best friend and sweetest partner. I want you to know that, um, and, and, and our management team, we all want you to know that this has been hard on us as a team. Um, it's been painful, it's been confusing. Each relationship individually is different one from another, but as a whole, me with the team has been really, really hard. I would characterize it as being in a tender place. My counselors helped me see that as we do as human beings, we grow, we develop, and that me and the team, we have been developing and growing along slightly different trajectories. And over now a many few, few years, and there's been tension there, and there's been pain, and we've all contributed to that pain. But I want you to know that these are my friends, we're family, we're brothers, we're sisters. We're committed to walking out relational repair wherever that is needed. We're going to do that for ourselves. We're going to do that for our body, Heartland. We're going to do that for the Lord. I also want you to know that Heartland's being really generous with us. We're really, really grateful, financially generous in this transition. And that's just huge. Not a surprise, but huge. Maybe the most difficult decision has been for Elise and me to come to grips with. It wouldn't make sense for us to stay connected to Heartland as a spiritual family. To share with our girls was so painful. It was two Thursday nights ago that we let them know. And it was, guys, it was it was the worst message we have ever had to bear. They love, they love Heartland. They have never known a day in their life outside of the spiritual community. They love our student ministry. And uh, when we told them there was hysteria, there was tears, and, and we just sat with them. We just rode the wave with them and just answered the questions we could, and then we ate ice cream and we watched Dumb and Dumber. That's how, we, that's how we dealt with it. And our youngest Hadley said, Dad, I think I'm more disturbed by the movie than I am by your news. And I was like, yeah, I forgot about some of those scenes. Um, and so we're figuring out a different 
easier, softer off-ramp for them, but we just know long-term and for the foreseeable future, it doesn't make sense for our own healing space, nor for the team's ability to move forward for us to be hanging around. The best way I can explain it is, could you imagine selling your house and the new people move in, but you stay? <laughs> just like, hey, I really like that wall there. What, you know, that was a great color. Why'd you, you know? Our girls, we had their, their, their height marked on that closet wall. You know, it's just like, we need the space. And maybe even more importantly, the, the, the dreams that God has put in the hearts of the team going forward, they need space to run with abandon. And speaking of which, in terms of succession plan, in terms of leadership structure, they'll best support the, the vision that's going forward. There's a task force in place. They have all the questions. They're walking those out to a point of clarity. And so you'll be hearing more about that work in terms of what the new leadership will look like going forward. Here's what I want you to know. I just really want to, I want to say thank you to you guys. I remember, I, I had a pastor friend of mine, he's, he's a pastor of a church out of town. And he told me once that he's never, ever received a thank you note from his congregation. I just, I couldn't fathom that. Because of how beautiful, how encouraging, how loving you all are how mission-minded you are for the person far from God. For those of you in this room who you were there the day that this whole church began in a basement on Dearborn Street and 103rd Street in Overland Park, when you're stacking like yellow chairs down there, I just want to say thank you for having the vision and the foresight and the courage to do what others thought you were crazy to do. And for those of you who were around the day that it got announced, our founding pastor was transitioning on and he was leaving the baton of leadership to me, a 32-year-old kid, barely married, no kids, no leadership um, experience of that magnitude. And you all were amazing. You were awesome. You're like, Dan, you're going to do great. We're going to be great. This is going to be awesome. Our best years are ahead. And of course, we know you were lying because you had no idea. But you had faith. You had faith. And you had community. And you said, this is our home. This is, this is our people. We're not a one-person church. We're the people of God. We're becoming the church among the unchurched. And we went on this journey together. And one day I got up and I said, people, we got to leave. We got to move. Because we're turning away people who, it, like, they need Jesus, and they're trusting us, and there's no parking, and there's no space. And we literally, we, we put blindfolds over our eyes, and we wrote the words, go, right, right here. And we said, who's willing to do this? Will you go before the Lord? Will you go beyond yourself? And will you go to the ends, wherever Jesus takes you? Because I don't know where we're going. I, I, we don't know how long it's going to take before we leave. We don't know how much it's going to cost, but it's going to cost us everything. Now who's in? And so many of you were like, we're in. We're in on this Abrahamic journey of going to the land that I'll show you once you go and as you go. And then just a few years later, the Great Recession hits and it felt like the world was teetering on collapse. 
And we came back to you and we said, we need to do this again. We need to raise more money. We want to build out that area. We want to lower our debt. We want to build water wells for the, for the thirsty in Africa and you all. I mean, this to me was even the more amazing thing. You had so much obedience and you had been tested before in your generosity. You said, we will go again. And you went again. And we moved here. And you remember the promise I made when I said, well, I don't know where we're moving, guys, but it'll be closer to every single one of you. <laughs> and I was lying. <laughs> but we moved really far from some of you. I have any prairie villagers in the house? Yeah, you know, and for all of you. Because you just said, you know, this is about the Lord. This is for the lost. This is no longer about me. Whatever it takes, I'm all in. And that's, that's the way you've lived. That's the way you've moved out. You've embodied the graffiti on the wall that said, we're going to be an arrows out people. That's who you are. That's how you live. The ways that you care for the, those in our society have been written off or forgotten or disenfranchised for the, for the food insecure for the poor, for our local schools and children that don't have food over a weekend, for those who don't speak English as a first language, for those who have felt marginalized, looked past, disadvantaged. It's always been in your heart to say, how do we come and meet the physical and the spiritual poor? Those who need the deep love of God, whether it's in physical form or spiritual form or more than likely both. This is who you are. You embody our values. Honesty. You're an honest people. You can sniff out um, pretension like that. If anything just, you know, seems a little disingenuous, you're out. But you're unpretentious. You don't need like fancy pews. You don't need names on plaques. You don't need robes. You just want something that's true, that's real, that's authentic. You want to talk about things that matter in the ways that we have ventured into controversial things, heavy things that are impacting our culture. You've gone there with us. You've said, let's name the reality and let's bring the deep heart of God's redemptive work there. And you've gone there with us. You're an honest people. You're smart and you're humble and you're intelligent and you're gracious. You're a hospitable people. It is in your heart to bleed for those who don't know the love of Jesus, who don't think they could belong here. You just bleed that way. It's just so deep in your DNA. You care for the whole person. As we develop holistically around here, you go, no, it's not enough just that somebody gets Bible verses. We want the whole person to be healed. Like Jesus says, do you want to get well physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, socially? You're like, we've got to be whole, complete people. And I just want to, I want to say to all of you on the back row, proverbially speaking. I want to say thank you for trusting us with your heart. I know it's scary to go to church. 
I know there's been a rattle in your heart for more of God. You just haven't known. Who can you trust to go to learn about him or encounter him? And I know for some of you, you it, it took everything you had to get in the car and drive in our direction. And some of you would drive and then go back, drive and go back and never quite arrive. And, and then maybe you'd sit in the parking lot and you'd study to see if there were normal people walking in or if there were all a bunch of wackos. I know, I know this is your story. And then finally you made it to the atrium. You'd sit and watch behind a TV screen. And then ultimately you land in the back row just going, keep the lights low. Please don't ask me to do anything, but I really need God. I really need God. And I just want to say thanks for your courage. Thanks for your trust. And I want to look at my friends in the front row. Front row to me is just, it just characterizes those who are just heaven bent on going for it. My daughter's told me not too long ago, I didn't really realize this. She said, Dad, you know you're a spitter when you speak. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know that. So I first want to say sorry, thank you, right? But the front row, you just, there's so much life here. There's such this deep insistence on, we're not going to get cheated out of this moment. If we're only here for 75 minutes, we're going to just squeak every ounce out of this moment because we hunger and we're desperate for all of God. Why? Because we've experienced his power and his breakthrough in our life. And I just want you guys to know, sometimes 9 a.m., 11 a.m., like dance parties break out, they're shouting, there's fishing, kind of freaks us out sometimes. But I want you to know, we love it and we need you to keep going for it. And everyone in between, you all have your seats, you know, many of you do. You're like, I sit in the first row, you know, and, and you're steadfast and you're faithful and you've locked arms with us time and time again. You've been patient, you've been gracious, you've been generous, and you know that your life is not your own. Thank you. Because we're not here to be a big church. We're not here to be the best church. We're simply here to make Jesus famous in the lives and hearts of every adult, kid, student in our city and beyond. And I want to call you to keep being here. I want to thank you for saying yes, and I want to call you to continue to say yes. I want to call you to put the hand to your hand to the plow and don't look back. It's beautiful. And I want to say thanks for being fun. You guys are a fun church, man. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. So can we have one last bit of fun together? That is our fourth core value, is have fun, take Jesus seriously, including his joy, right? You, uh, if you don't mind. If that was your way of telling me I'm done, I'm sorry. <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, so yeah, you remember in 2014, there was this little thing called the World Series? And you remember how that went? It was really fun until it wasn't, right? 
And you remember we had a little wager with the church out in the Bay Area called Shelter Vineyard Community Church. And, um, and that didn't go so well in the end. Remember that? Well, don't you think it's time to double down? So I called up Mike McCoy, the lead pastor out there, and asked if he was up for, uh, for a second challenge, little uh, KC versus Bay Area challenge. And, um, and here's his reply. Hey there, Dan and the Heartland Church. This is Mike McCoy out in San Francisco. Well, the game is on again, Kansas City versus San Francisco. But this time, it's Super Bowl 54, the Chiefs versus the 49ers. Now, last time, we loved the Kansas City barbecue you all sent us. And we're looking forward to eating it again after the Super Bowl. But just in case, by some miracle, the Chiefs win, here's what we will send you. A case of Russian River's famous Pliny the Elder double IPA, plus a couple of loaves of the famous San Francisco sourdough bread. And for all you chocolate lovers, a couple of bags of Ghirardelli's chocolate. I know you'll love it. And on the Sunday following the Super Bowl, one of our upfront leaders will be wearing some Kansas City Chiefs swag so that you all can brag. Now, I'd like to say, may the best team win, but I know that's the 49ers. So I'm just going to say to you all, peace, my brothers and sisters. Bye. All right. Well, I can write the checks. I can't actually cash them any longer, but uh, it's my last little edict as, uh, as lead pastor. By the way, I had to convince Mike to do this. He, um, he's not quite as confident as he appears. He, too, is an admirer of Patrick Holmes. Here's how I want to uh, close our time together. So 16 months ago, we began our strategic planning process. And um, to ready my heart for that first day, I went into the prayer room. We have two prayer rooms, one right through those doors. But on the other side of the green wall, on what we call our unfinished side, there's another prayer room. And the team of folks that put that together, it's just beautiful. There's, you, can, you can just sit and pray, you can take communion, you can watercolor, you can charcoal, draw, you can do all sorts of just interactive ways with your senses to engage in prayer with God. And I really started to use that um, space um, pretty, pretty regularly. And I'd actually even gotten into like watercoloring and charcoal drawing, which is not my gig, but I just was moved and, and would draw something and put it up on the wall where everyone else was putting their things on the wall. Well, that morning that I um, walked in, the morning just an hour before we were to begin the strategic planning process, I walked into an absolutely empty room. All the paintings had come down. All the furniture had been moved out. There was a big old chalkboard. Everything had been erased. It was just absolutely empty. And I was like taken aback. I, actually, I was a little bit thrown. Frankly, I was a little bit upset. It's like, well, now how can I pray? You know, it's like, and, and then I heard the words, I'm making all things new. Just heard that in that little back compartment of your brain. You go, I don't think that was just me. I'm making all things new. And I grabbed my Bible and I just went 
to uh, the Old Testament where those words um, come from. It's from the prophet Isaiah, and I just want to read to you what it says. In talking about the Exodus, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. But forget the former things. Now, Isaiah's not saying, like, forget the past entirely. Like, he's saying, that's a beautiful moment that will always carry through the story of God's redemptive work in, in us as a people. But he says, don't dwell there. Don't dwell on the past. In other words, that's not all you have anymore. I have so much more for you. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Man, I was so fired up. I took that, went to the strategic plan kick off and I said, here's what the Lord said and did. And Lori Roy at that moment, she goes, Dan, did you know we're redesigning that room? And that's actually the theme of the room for the next quarter is Isaiah 43. I said, I had no idea. Well, 16 months later, on Tuesday, January 7th of this year, we come back together as a strategic planning team for our last and final session. And that's when we finish that plan and we call it beautiful and right. And I couldn't see myself in it. As I got home that night, my sister-in-law, Elisa's sister, she has been sending Elisa and me the most beautiful words and pictures and, and passages. This is all that she sent on that day, completely not knowing. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The most important part about this passage and in this word is yes, it connects for Heartland and all the new that's ahead. And yes, it connects for me and all the exciting unknowns that I get to step into as well. And yes, we're all in the kingdom and we're all on the same broad mission field, though now distinct. But where my confidence comes in is not only in who you are, Heartland, or in your leadership. It's that in this passage, who does the new thing? Who brings spring from the wasteland? Who parts the waters? I do, declares the Lord. I do. I'm the one with my power and with my strength. I'm the one with my love and with my grace. I'm the one who goes before you, behind you, beside you, beneath you. And I'm the one who by the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. I am the maker of new things. Your only call is to not live in the past, but to perceive the new and present future and to be courageous enough to step into it. 
not just for your sakes, but for the praise of my people and for the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be first, that he might be our ultimate vision, the one that we are most after. Would you stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision? Well, Heartland, we're long on time, but we're not done. So you're going to have to join me in saying thank you to our Heartland's kids team. But we get the opportunity to say thank you to Dan and Elise uh, as staff and family. So staff, elders, come on up this way if you would. Dan and Elise and Shabu, please come up here. 
So while they're, they're making their way up, um, Dan and I began our journey around Heartland about the same time in the map program that he referenced. We have a picture here. So Dan's the one uh, with the motorcycle helmet. And uh, looks good. So Dan, uh, on behalf of, of all of us, I mean, you have been a great leader, a world-class communicator, and a dear, dear friend. And I think for the management team, staff, elders, and all of us, I could just say thank you. We love you. You have changed us as you followed after God's heart, and we will miss you dearly. And so our best chance just to say thank you, we've wanted to do that in a few ways. First, through the presence of us who are behind you. We support you. We want to send you out into the endeavors that the Lord has called you to. We say yes to that on your behalf, and we go with you. We will pray for you. We're behind you, as is the Spirit of God. We want to say thank you with some actual presence. And so, uh, Michelle and Steve. Well, you guys, oh, it's upside down. That's helpful. Um, this is a painting that we give all elders when they transition off. And it is done by John Richardson. And it's the sower from Matthew 13. And you, my friend, have sowed so many good seeds in my life and our staff's lives and our leaders. And we're just so, so grateful. And we're really, really going to miss you. Well, friend, we have a couple more gifts. One is, um, well, let me stop for a second. You know how much I love you. And we kicked it around and thought, how do I reflect, how do we reflect our love for you one more time? So we got a family cabin at Big Cedar. But the only way it made sense was for that cabin to be decorated with as much country music stuff as possible. So we, we had to pay a little extra, but you'll, you're gonna be very pleased. And along with that, you guys, we have passes for Silver Dollar City for you and for the family. So love you. And while words cannot express uh, what you've meant to us, what you both have, the legacy that you leave behind and the, the new waters you will take, uh, we, we have our words, and what we'd love is if you would take the opportunity, there are some tables with balloons, if you would just grab their thank you notes there and write a note of encouragement to the ways that Dan uh, has been used by God to impact your life, leave those at the, the tables or take one, write it, mail it in, uh, or if you would rather email dand at heartlandchurch.org, we'll continue to be open to receive those words from you. And I have the privilege, Dan, um, just to say a few brief words, ever so brief, of thanks. I just, the thing that overwhelmingly has, has risen for me is just praise God and thank you, Dan, for, for what God has done on your watch. You know, at 8301, we had a problem. We didn't have enough spaces, spots, or seats for all the people who needed to know about Jesus. So you put on a blindfold and you took a step of faith and you rallied us to a cause beyond ourselves like we'd never done before. And because of that, we're here today. And so many of these people are here. Praise God and thank you, Dan. And you knew there was a bigger and a deeper work that God wanted to do within us. And so you called us to go deeper into his heart. And you said we needed to abide above all 
And so you rallied leaders and you championed a discipling culture and you opened up the scriptures to us and you told us to get past ourselves and to point our arrows out to the world. And because you said so, we've done that. Praise God and thank you, Dan. And, and we're, uh, under your leadership, we've always been about the unchurched, but you've, you've helped us in, the, in this new day and time in our culture to become the church among the unchurched, wherever God has placed us. And so uh, Patty and the team helped with just a few simple but important statistics that I think just show the fruit of that. First is that through Alpha, in the 15 years since you've been lead pastor, 1,000 people have gone through the Alpha experience hearing about Jesus, many for the first time. Praise God and thank you, Dan. In the 15 years since you have been our lead pastor, 1,225 people have professed saving faith in Jesus as evidence through baptism. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God and thank you, Dan. And this one just blows my mind. So if we think about every given Sunday over the past 15 years when folks like us have been in this room, if, the, if each is an individual encounter of hearing the scriptures open and the gospel preach, there have been one million individual encounters with the scriptures and the gospel under your leadership. Praise God. And thank you, Debbie. And we'd be remiss if we didn't also say thank you to Elise and to the girls. Um, you have a beautiful, amazing family. You've been the most incredible partner Dan could have. You've been a faithful, faithful servant of God on our behalf. No one knows the cost or the joy of leadership like you do. And every hill has been your hill Every joy, your joy. The road has been your road. Every trial has been your trial. Every scar has been your scar. And no one knows what that's been like. But I do know the Father knows. So we say thank you. I believe he says well done. And so I'm going to pray to close us out. If you would, just where you are, if you would pray in your own, in the silence of your own heart, maybe if you'd like to raise a hand in Dan's direction and join us, just close in prayer. And actually, Dan gets to do the final, final saying, but let me pray. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have remained faithful. Lord, thank you for how Dan and Elise have finished the race, that they've fought the beautiful fight. They've remained faithful. Lord, we will miss uh, their presence and their teaching and all of those things, but we send them out for more and greater. Lord, the world needs to know about you through the amazing gifts you've given. Amplify those in amazing ways, we pray. Will you empower him by your spirit? Empower them. Will you be their encourager, provider? Will you be the wind in their sails? change our city and the world in more and greater ways in the future, in and through them, than you even have till today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord's countenance always be turned towards you and bring you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.